today on Blue 58. The Packers started hot, then held on to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a 14-12 rock fight in the Florida heat. It wasn't pretty, but it was a win. So what does it mean? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. The Packers won, and I have no idea what to think about this game. On the one hand, I think it's totally fine to just look at this within the 60 minutes of football that happened. You don't ever want to put too much on just one game. And this very much, I think, was a one-game sort of situation. The Packers' wide receiving core is decimated. The offensive line is still weird. You're playing a very good opponent. You're playing a very weird opponent, too, because the Buccaneers were dealing with their own series of injury and suspension weirdness as well. Every good thing and every bad thing in this game seems to have a yeah, but to it. Yeah, the Packers offense started well, but it didn't end up that way. Yeah, the Packers shut down the Buccaneers by and large, but we were kind of getting the Buccaneers JV team. Yeah, David Bakhtiari played, but you had the weirdness with the offensive line rotation. All of it seems just kind of tied to this game in particular. The macro trends seem pretty limited. And on top of that, we shouldn't let this go by the wayside either. The Packers won. All the other weirdness should fade away in light of that. Concerns about the second half offense... Concerns about the defense, you know, kind of finally wilting a little bit down the stretch. All of that is true, but the Packers won. And everyone matters. We talked in the 2019 and 2020 seasons about kind of stealing wins early in the 20, early in the season. If you get wins that you're not necessarily supposed to have, early in the season. That really benefits you down the stretch. This year, the drop against the Vikings was bad, but wins like this in weird games against good opponents can end up mattering a lot later on. Now the Packers have a head-to-head tiebreaker over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are going to be in the playoff conversation late. And on top of that, they're 2-1. and one. All of that is good. But on the other hand, it's very hard to not look at what happened this weekend and go, but what does it mean about this game? Because what does it mean? And that question gets weird because I have no idea. There's a bunch of little things that kind of stick in my mind about this game, and I don't know what they add up to say. We'll talk about this in more detail later on, but the offense has no deep passing component right now. Part of this has been due to their offensive line, but part of it seems to be because Aaron Rodgers doesn't really seem to be interested in deep shots to new, to new guys. Is it a can't or won't thing? The defense, too, still figuring it out. Good at times, great at times, but a work in progress to be sure. The defense, I guess more importantly, is obviously very talented. Often very, very good at winning individual matchups. All of those things are kind of more macro trends, though. And I'm not sure what they mean connected to this game in particular. So as we look at this game, I don't think I really want to do a normal 
three good, three bad sort of approach. Let's just look at some stuff from this game, good and bad, and just mix it all together. Right off the bat, I think you've got to start out talking about David Bakhtiari. He's back, made the start for the Packers today, then immediately came out as the Packers apparently made it clear to everybody talking about this game that they were going to be rotating tackles throughout. As soon as uh, David Bakhtiari steps off the field for that second series, you saw all the beat writers on Twitter talking about it. Yep, this was the plan all along. They mentioned it in the broadcast booth. Okay, guys, if you knew all this information, why not, you know, tell us about it? Like, do your job as as journalists, as reporters, whatever. A little bit of courage from the beat now and then would not go amiss here. That notwithstanding, I can't say I've ever seen anything like this. This sort of thing happened fairly frequently way back in the day. Vince Lombardi, in fact, used to call plays for his offenses by rotating guards on a play-by-play basis. He would shuffle them in one play after another after another. I have a hard time saying this is the best approach, but if you've got David Bakhtiari on a pitch count, I think there is something to be said for, you know, not running out of key David Bakhtiari plays in the fourth quarter or whatever. And more importantly, it seems to have worked. Bakhtiari got through the whole game, looked pretty good when he was out there, and the Packers won. He ended up playing 35 snaps total, not a terrible debut, given the fact that his practice schedule has been a little bit than Elton Jenkins was ramping up to getting into the games. More macro level, Adam Stenovich again pushing the boundaries of what's possible on the Packers' offensive line, doing another weird thing, and I don't want to say getting away with it, but having it work. Now, granted, that's much easier to do when you've got good players. Bakhtiari, a good player. Yash Diamond, a good player. But they're trying some weird stuff, and it appears to be working. Second big thing I want to talk about is the first half. On offense, on offense, things were magnificent until they weren't. I don't think it's a great exaggeration to say this game should have been at least 17-3 to at the half, but setting aside the fumble into the end zone for a second, I don't know what else you really want from the Packers' offense. Outside of that drive that ended with the fumble, the offense opened up with 146 yards on its first 22 plays and two touchdowns, and everybody got involved. You got big plays from Randall Cobb, big plays from Romeo Dobbs, big plays from Alan Lazard, a big play from Robert Tunyon on a key third down checkdown. Aaron Rodgers looked razor sharp. I don't know what else you want. Early on, I, it's about as perfect as it could have been. But then we get to the catastrophe down at the goal line. Aaron Jones' fumble into the end zone was one of the weirder plays and one of the weirder ways that play could have played out. You start off with a perfect angle route out of the backfield. He works Levante David masterfully to get open inside the five. But who's that dropping into coverage? 350-pound Vita Vea. And he blows everything up at the goal line, and boy, did it blow up. One of the worst things that could have happened there. Other than Tampa taking that play back for a touchdown, it's about as bad as it could have been. Not only no points, but you don't even get the advantage of sticking the Buccaneers deep in their own territory because you fumble into the end zone and it's a touchback for the defense. And I'm fine with that rule, by the way. Don't fumble at the goal line and it's not a problem. If you fumble at the most crucial area of the field, yeah, I think you should be penalized for that. And 
on top of that, there are so few rules in the NFL as it stands right now that actually benefit the defense. I'm fine with giving them this one. It just happens to have burned the Packers in this particular instance. Stepping back from this play in particular, anecdotally, this seems like a recurring issue for the Matt LaFleur Packers. One big thing goes wrong, and then the offense never recovers. The most top-of-mind example is the Mercedes Lewis fumble in the playoffs last year. Packers offense appears to be rolling. In my mind, they're going down to go up 14-0 on the San Francisco 49ers, who at that point will just completely collapse, and the Packers will be on to the NFC Championship game. But we know how that played out. Lewis fumbles, and the offense bogs down from there. And boy, did the offense bog down in Tampa Bay this weekend. After that fumble, the Packers' next eight drives included seven punts, one fumble, and one drive that was longer than four plays. Their second-to-last drive of the game was was eight plays, and they bled some clock there. But um, it, it wasn't pretty after the Jones fumble. This, I think, is the kind of final iteration of the, the Matt LaFleur microchip theory. We've talked about that dating back to 2019, how when everything is perfect, Matt LaFleur's offense and the Packers' offense will just click, 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 boom, 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 right down the field. And there's really nothing you can do to get them off track unless things start to not be exactly perfect. And it used to be things like small personnel changes or you know, getting off schedule on plays, getting behind the chains down and distance-wise would be what helped the offense bog down. But now it seems like the final version of this trend is Lafleur's offense is having one bad thing go wrong, and then they change either their entire approach or they just can't get back to the level they were because it seems like nobody can let go of the bad thing that happened and just move on. And I don't know if that's a Lafleur thing or a Rodgers thing, but it seems to be a thing, and it's something they need to get corrected. We talked a little bit ago about deep stuff. Not philosophically deep stuff, but the Packers being unable or unwilling to go deep. This is a pretty noticeable shortcoming in the Packers' offense right now, if you'll pardon the pun. The offense really has no deep passing component right now, and I wonder what things look like this weekend with Christian Watson out there. Because I think at least you have a weapon where you can consistently get deep with Watson out there. Dobbs not quite as fast, though plenty fast. Um, Still, he's a different sort of speed than Watson is. But looking at the the broad trends in this game and, and this season, you've got the two bombs in week one. You've got the Watson drop there and the play where Randall Cobb is deep, but really never had a shot at the ball because Aaron Rodgers just throws it up there and Harrison Harrison Smith comes down with it. Um, week two, the Packers had two throws over 20 yards downfield. You have the deep out on a third down to Randall Cobb and the play-action shot to Sammy Watkins. In week three, you had four passes at 20 or more yards downfield, but just the one completion to Alan Lazard. And I love Alan Lazard, but he's really not the deep threat that you want because he can get open downfield in sort of manufactured scenarios. But there's a difference with how he wins and how a guy like Christian Watson wins, or, you know, to expand it back out a year, 
a guy like Marquez Valdez Scantling wins. Speed versus technique is a significant difference in the Packers' deep passing game. And without Christian Watson on the field, and even with him on the field, the Packers don't really seem to have one. And I think it's going to start, well, I think it is holding their offensive back, offense back overall. When you have all of these targets at or near the line of scrimmage, it's only marginally better, I think, than, than the run game. It's noticeable by omission right now. And as we said earlier, I wonder if it's a thing they can't do or a thing they won't do. In week three, just given the quality of the Buccaneers' defense, it might have been more of a can't thing, especially with the availability of the Packers' wide receivers. In weeks one and two, won't seems a little more likely. And which way that ultimately breaks this season is going to, I think, shape a lot of the Packers' offense. Flipping over to defense, I feel pretty good about the pressure the Packers got on Tom Brady in Week 3. Granted, the Buccaneers' offensive line is in shambles. That is not the Packers' fault. You can only play the guys that you play. But they had three sacks and four hits on Tom Brady, and that's pretty good. Regardless of um, how, how many of those you're converting into sacks, we should make a note that three of those sacks and three of the hits came from Kenny Clark and Rashawn Gary. The fourth quarterback hit comes from the unexpected source of Adrian Amos. The Packers did run a little bit more blitz type stuff in this game than we've seen to this point in the season. Adrian Amos getting home for a quarterback hit on one of those situations. Kenny Clark's two sack performance was the fifth such game of his career. The last one came in week six of the 2021 season against the Bears. Still a monster. Kenny Clark very scary for opposing offenses, but I feel pretty good about the Packers' pressure this week. Looking at the defense overall, though, I'm not really sure what to think because you do have to grade a little bit of, on a curve because Tampa was just so different on offense in this one. I think Mike Evans changes this game significantly. Julio Jones might change this game significantly because I think then you have two receivers that Tom Brady can really count on. Uh, if you're if you're counting on Cole Beasley coming in off the street to be a significant player in this game, it says a lot about the state of your offense. So, yes, you got to grade on a little bit of a curve. But on the other hand, 2.9 yards per carry for Leonard Fournette, that'll win. Tom Brady needing 42 throws to get to 271 yards, that's pretty efficient for your defense. The Packers doing all of this, despite not having Jair Alexander for most of the game, Another big point in their favor. And then they came up with a key stop late on the two-point conversion. Game-winning play if there ever was one. Calling the Packers' defense less than the sum of its parts still seems accurate, and yet the defense is only allowing 15 points per game. Key guys are playing well. Through three weeks, that's pretty good. And if they can add a piece... We've talked about a guy getting released or, or asking for a release, or maybe you trade for somebody or get somebody internally to step up. You might have something there. And Joe Barry, I know, is uninspiring. We've talked that to death, but there's nothing to be done about that now. And the results generally have been pretty good. Romeo Dobbs. How do you not get excited about his performance through three weeks? 16 targets through three weeks? Not bad. Tops on the Packers right now. 137 receiving yards through three weeks. Not bad for a rookie. 
Eight catches, 73 yards, and a touchdown as one of the team's top three healthy wide receivers in Week 3. Not bad. No notes. No complaints, really. And I think if you look at the way in which he performed and the way that he got his targets in Week 3, you should be extra encouraged. Because the way that he got involved really stands out. His first big catch Week 3, it may actually have been his first catch overall, Uh, comes on uh, an audible. Aaron Rodgers yelling, can, 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 late in the cadence. That means they're going with their, their, I guess, backup play, their their scripted audible, I guess. Um, In this situation, we're going to run this play if we call can. There it is. Uh, They call it. He he gets a look that he likes late. Dobbs gets open, does fumble on, on the tackle, but gets it back, so no harm, no foul. First touchdown was designed specifically for him. He's the second wide receiver in a two-man stack on the outside. Alan Lazard basically is going to block for him. Lazard could, in theory, be a receiver on this play, but Lazard gets upfield. He's attacking, as Greg Olson wonderfully explained it from the broadcast booth, he's attacking the inside shoulder of the defensive back. Basically, he's trying to create space for Romeo Dobbs running behind him. And with a guy like Alan Lazard, blocking in front of you, you're going to have a lot of space. This is, while a version of this dates back pretty far into the Mike McCarthy era, Randall Cobb actually scored a touchdown and on an almost identical concept back in 2012, in which Donald Driver was blocking for him. And it was a somewhat controversial play against the Arizona Cardinals because, um, well, it was, it was way outside the end zone and it was pretty obvious offensive pass interference, but wasn't flagged. So, I guess, bummer for you, Arizona Cardinals. Uh, But this was an exciting thing to see Dobbs getting not only involved in the offense, but singled out to get involved in the offense and coming up when he was asked to do it, coming up with big plays when he was asked to, to make them. A big catch, a touchdown catch. I don't really know what else you want from, from Romeo Dobbs so far. It's been great. Um, to this point. So what does this mean? Looking at the the biggest possible picture, I don't know still. I don't know what we learned about the Packers in week three, but the Packers are two and one. And if you're scoring at home, that's the best possible result that you can have after losing in week one. So kudos to the Packers there. They are second in the NFC North right now after Minnesota held off Detroit. Would have been tied for first had Detroit been able to complete the upset there, but can't count on the lines for anything. Minnesota, though, does appear to be coming back to earth a little bit, and the injuries starting to pile up a little bit in Minnesota, as we predicted might be the case. Also importantly, the Packers, as we mentioned, have the tiebreaker over Tampa, which could be key late in the season. And bottom line for this game, the Packers get a win in adverse conditions without a full deck of players. A lot to like there. There are some big concerns. There are some concerns that have, you know, long-running implications for this team this season. But they're 2-1. They got a tough win in Tampa. And there's a lot to like about that too. So what's up next? The New England Patriots come to Lambeau Field next Sunday. They are 1-2. and two. They come to Lambeau Field for an afternoon kickoff, and boy, things are not going well for the Patriots this season. 
They don't really have an offensive coordinator. It's not clear who's super in charge of that offense right now. Matt Patricia is calling plays. A strange look for him uh, as he returns to New England. Mac Jones is hurt and likely not to play next week and probably for some time. So the Packers are probably going to see Brian Hoyer next weekend. Things are, are shaping up well for the Packers here. And uh, as they get the, the reeling Patriots coming into Lambeau, but you never like to cut out Bill Belichick coming up with something unusual to, to torment an opponent. And that could be the case next Sunday too. A couple of random thoughts and uh, we will let you go for your Monday morning uh, as you uh, head into another work week. Explosive plays across the board. Not unexpected, but at least one surprise in here. Romeo Dobbs getting involved. Great to see. Randall Cobb, not a big surprise, but a 40-yard catch and run is a little bit unusual from him at this point in his career. Alan Lazard, sure, love to see him getting involved in new ways. And Tyler Davis coming out of nowhere with a big catch and run uh, to help the Packers get deep into Tampa Bay territory. Bit of a statistical oddity as we talk about explosive plays and, uh, and performance and things like that. Through three games, big tight end Mercedes Lewis has zero catches and more importantly, Zero targets. I don't think there's there's anything you really want to take away from that, but it is a little bit odd that he hasn't even seen one pass come his way through three games. Uh, elsewhere in the participation world, Amari Rodgers managed just three snaps on Sunday. I don't know, man. Uh, five healthy wide receivers and you can only get on the field for three snaps. That's pretty bad. And through three weeks of all the season-long predictions I made about the Packers and their players... I'm feeling pretty good about my under 300 snaps prediction for Amari Rodgers. I felt a little iffy about that one when I made it because the Packers coaching staff and and everybody were saying all the right things about Rodgers. But four snaps through three games now. And he'll have to average more than 21 snaps a game the rest of the way to break 300 on the year. It's It doesn't look good for Rodgers right now. He has very clearly no role to play on the Packers' offense. And when he does do good things on special teams, they're often compounded immediately by other people doing bad things or, or Rodgers himself doing bad things later in the game. If, if he wasn't a third-round pick, he would not be on the roster right now. I don't know how to put it any other way because he's not an elite punt returner, he's not an elite athlete, and he clearly has no role on offense. Darius Shepard was doing this exact thing back in 2020, and the Packers found a way to get him off the field. And I don't know what would have to change at this point. Does Randall Cobb have to get hit by a bus for them to even consider putting Amari Rodgers on the field? But it's not its not good. And they're redshirting him again here, essentially, in, in year two as a third-round pick. That, it seems like a big miss for the Packers here. And... Rodgers seems like a great guy. He seems like he's doing all the right things, but they just don't seem to have a use for him. And it's not looking good through three weeks. More positively, as it pertains to special teams, uh, Rudy Ford and Keyshawn Nixon, excellent pair of gunners for the Packers. Uh, Nixon helps the Packers pin the Buccaneers deep by downing a punt inside the five. Rudy Ford, meanwhile, shockingly fast. We knew he was fast based on 
testing numbers and film that came out out of his time in Jacksonville. But just seeing it on the field is a different sort of experience. Pat O'Donnell pinned the returner deep on a, on a punt uh, along the right sideline or the left sideline if you're going from the Packers' perspective. And it looked like the returner might have some room to work. But Ford just comes blazing down the field and hogties him right at the sideline. Nowhere for him to go. That's it. Rudy Ford is there. Nixon, meanwhile, we, we mentioned his, uh, his work pinning um, the Buccaneers deep, downing the punt inside the five. Nice piece for the Packers to have. He got a lot of playing time in this game. Uh, with uh, Jair Alexander out, Rasul Douglas shifts to the outside. Keyshawn Nixon plays in the slot. He fills hard in the run game. He's scrappy in the passing game. And as we've already said, he's a valuable gunner on special teams. That's a nice pickup for the Packers. We'll finish with uh, another chapter in our ongoing chronicle about the Packers' third edge rusher. Pretty clearly seems to be J.J. and Igbari at this point. Uh, he played 23 snaps on Sunday. That's the most he's played this season in a game by far. Uh, previous high was 10. In fact, 23 snaps is more than he's played in his, in the first two weeks combined, and almost twice as many, just as importantly, perhaps more importantly, than Jonathan Garvin in week three. He seems pretty clearly to be the Packers' third edge rusher. They're trying to make it work with that group they've got right now. And I think this is the best way forward if you're trying to to make things work with, with Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith and just the Motley crew you've got after them. Inigbari is the most promising of those guys. And just letting him play and figure it out might be the best way forward for the Packers. 23 snaps isn't a lot. It's more than we've seen to this point. And I think sooner or later, he's going to start finding ways to really contribute with the snaps that he's getting. I like seeing him play, even if the production isn't there right now. And if he can become a guy who can give you 30 quality snaps a game, even this season, even if the statistical production isn't necessarily there, that's a big help for the Packers. I would still love it if they could get the 2022 version of, a, say, like a Whitney Merciless signing. That'd be great. Uh, that's more of a wish than a real plan for the Packers right now. And as as we say from time to time, a wish is not a plan. <laughs> Just hoping that, the, that something works out for the Packers is not a strategy. But if you can't have an actual strategy, having a rookie take some steps forward is about the next best thing. And if Enoch Bari can continue to take some steps, that would be a great thing for the Packers' defense. That's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show, and it's going to get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.